I wonder who you think of if I say the word friend to you. Um, I wonder how many people you think of and what those relationships that you have are like. Um, today we're going to look at friendship and as our initial clip showed everyone apart from Max, it's looking at Facebook as well. Um, and I know what you're probably thinking, that the beginning of Genesis doesn't really talk about status updates, about poking people, about tagging photos, liking other people's posts. But hopefully what we've seen so far through the series is that Genesis 1-3, to um, God's word has something to speak to us in all situations, even Facebook. So um, before we start, I should tell you I do like Facebook. Um, I'm friends with some of you on it, and I check it quite regularly and post some sort of weird, silly status every few days. Um, I like it when people like my statuses and my videos I post too. Um, I've got some good friends who live in America and Facebook is kind of really good for helping me communicate with them. And uh, as Mike said, me being quite old now, I get to see pictures of my friends' babies now. That seems to be the most recent thing that comes up in my posts. Um, whilst it might just be a website that lets people communicate, we might not think it's that important. It's become more than that. So um, we see events are scheduled uh, through Facebook, Poshnosh, invites are sent out on that. Um, we see that relationships can be documented, their beginning and ending on Facebook as well. I cut off the bottom ones on the rouge, but I thought that was a question. Um, and also, um, the word unfriend has become a word that's in the dictionary now. So Facebook has the capacity to change even the words that we use in our language. Um, so we're going to look at what Facebook friendship is like, and then what the biblical view of relationships and friendship are like. So uh, we see in Genesis 1 and 2 that we are created... Helen. We're created by God and we're unique in creation. Um, it tells us who we are, the way that we're created. So we see that human beings are unique and that they're made in the image of God. So we see um, that God says, let us make man in our image. And um, we see that part of that uniqueness and that unique um, characteristics that we have to represent God is that God is in a relationship. We see that in the Trinity, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, there's been a relationship throughout eternity, a perfect, fulfilled, loving relationship. And we feel that because we're made in God's image. We kind of reflect that in the way that we have a desire to be in a relationship with other people. So God looks at um, Adam in creation on his own and says it is not good for him to be alone. Um, he says it's not good for him to be alone and then brings along all the livestock, all the birds in the sky and all the wild animals for Adam to name. So um, imagine his initial excitement and then growing disappointment as all these animals are brought past him. Giraffe, too tall, anteater. Nose too big, tiger, a bit too bitey. Um, so at last, as his, <laughs> as his job's completed, he's been waiting for his perfect partner, but then he's put to sleep, and then when he wakes up, there in front of him is this beautiful woman, his perfect complement, his helper that God's made for him. And um, Eve's created from Adam's side to be his perfect complementary equal, and Adam is astounded when he sees her. He goes into a bit of poetry. Um, and while they're both naked, in chapter 2, verse 25, we see they felt no shame. Um, there was no pretense or hiding with them because they were so comfortable in who they were and who God had made them. And I don't know about you, but there's very few friends that I feel like that with, that I'm genuinely honest and real with. Even the people that I know, I can sometimes put on a bit of a front. So um, on Facebook, this is my profile page, um, I'm quite careful about what I put up for other people. I choose my hobbies that I list. I choose what photos I have on my uh, feed. I delete some of them. Um, Selena's on there, I think Ben's on there from a trip to Cambridge. But I make sure that certain pictures get shown and other ones don't. I detag pictures of myself the day after a night out, the ones that I don't find very flattering. I've even sent a message to Simon McCormick before asking him to delete a photo that I thought was horrible of myself. Um, if I trust Facebook, apparently I've got 537 friends. 
But actually, if I mark my friendship by honesty and openness and uh, ability to be really real with somebody, then I can probably count the friends I've got on two hands, or maybe even one. We're going to see a little bit more next week about creativity and work, but we're going to look as well at how um, we're created to be in a relationship, but also to have a purpose. So Adam and Eve aren't just put together to wander around the garden and uh, pick flowers. In chapter 1, verse 28, they're told to be fruitful and increase in number. And in chapter 2, verse 15, God says they're to work in and take care of the Garden of Eden. So their relationship and interdependence points to God, um, points to the Trinity in their relationship. And the purpose is that their friendship will impact on the rest of creation. Uh, We see this again in the instruction that Jesus gives to his disciples. He says, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So godly friendship speaks to the world about God. So we're going to have a quick look in our groups at Image and Facebook and how we, how we interact with other people. Um, you've got quite a few questions. Some of them might be more relevant to your group than others. But I want you to have a think about Image, what you portray, how often you're able to be real um, and unashamed with other people, and then how your friendships impact on other people and how they speak about God. So we're going to spend a few minutes in our groups discussing that. Then we'll come back together and look at our next point. design for friendship um, is for Adam and Eve to be walking in a relationship with him in the garden, to be working at the things that he set for them. Uh, we know that this isn't where the story ends. Um, we see that Adam and Eve um, are tempted by the servant to gain knowledge, to become more like God, and in doing so, they disobey the only rule that they were given. Um, if we see Adam and Eve's sin as being representative of all of us being sinful and seeking our own glory... We've got to also recognise that other people are sinful and liable to failure. We can't set other people up on some kind of pedestal and pile our expectations on them and hope that in some way they're going to fulfil us. Um, If someone, however wonderful they are, becomes our hope of happiness, becomes our idol, we invest everything in them. And that means that they're always going to let us down because they're sinful human beings. The desire for relationship that we have inbuilt inside us isn't ever going to be fully met by another person because human relationships are just a shadow of the relationship we're meant to have with God. So human relationships are never going to satisfy us because they're just meant to be a shadow, a picture of what our relationship with God is meant to be like. So we see in this passage that sin that comes into the world has two effects on the friendship um, between Adam and Eve and each of them's got devastating consequences. So the first one is that Adam and Eve... um, unite together to justify their rebellion. They hide together. So in Genesis 3, verse 8, we see that they hide together, thinking they can ignore the ways that they've betrayed God. Maybe you know that you shouldn't lie to teach about the reason that your course works late. Or maybe you know you shouldn't gossip about the person that who really annoys you at work. But if other people are doing it, it somehow kind of makes it okay. Um, as long as we don't do it on Sundays, or in home group, or um, kind of with other Christians, it's like God doesn't really see it. In an age of kind of social networking, it's easy to think that we're, we unite with people in pretty much anything we want to do. So um, I had a quick yesterday, and the Facebook group entitled Getting Drunk has 400,000 members. And we saw last summer that the London riots are kind of partly fueled by uh, conversations that we've had on social networking sites like Facebook. Also, the cleanup was coordinated by, uh, by Facebook as well. The second way that we can um, respond to sin 
is that we can justify our sin by blaming other people. So sin puts a wedge in between Adam and Eve. Um, Adam blames his sin on Eve, and Eve blames hers on the serpent. So maybe you got a bit too drunk at that party. But someone else kept topping up your glass. And that person that you're really into is getting a little bit too cosy with someone else. And you've had a really hard day that day. So we're, we kind of think, well, it's not really my fault. It's always somebody else's fault. Anything but ignore the fact that actually it's what we really wanted to do. The problem with sin, whether we hide it or whether we blame it on someone else, is it has devastating consequences. It really does matter. God cares that these two people that he uh, created, who had the privilege of walking with him in perfect relationship, have betrayed him. Because he's just, and because he has to act according to his character, he has to respond to that. And that means they can no longer be in the garden with him. The same is true for each one of us. Every time we willfully turn our back on what God wants us to do, we're rejecting the most satisfying relationship that we could have. And that leads to tension and pain in our friendships too. And we're going to spend a bit of time in our groups. Um, you've got a few questions to think through. You don't have to be totally open. I'm not going to force you to kind of confess everything that's happened in your friendships. But if we're looking at being open and supporting each other, maybe you want to talk about how um, those tensions affect you and how actually the pain and dis- difficulty that we have there is a reflection of perhaps how we see Adam and Eve and uh, what happened with them. So a couple of minutes again in your group. Um, I'll let you know in about five minutes when we've had enough time. Press record. Um, so when Adam and Eve are sent away from the garden and from the tree of life, um, they're told they can never return. And it seems like a hopeless state of affairs. Sin, betrayal, devastation. For those of you who've known the end of a friendship or a relationship, you know it's got the power to really cut you to the core. However, there is hope here, and we need to make sure that we see it. So one thing that really transformed my understanding of the Bible and made me feel a little bit less terrified of the Old Testament was when someone said to me that every passage speaks of Jesus. Um, Sometimes we fall into the trap of thinking that um, God needed a plan B after the fall, that he wasn't ready for it, didn't know it was going to happen. That God was all-knowing and is all-knowing. He knew that Adam and Eve would sin. He knew that they'd have to leave the garden, and he knew that they and every other person who would be born after them would need a rescuer. Um, If you've got your Bibles open, have a look at Genesis 3, verse 21. I'll leave you a chance to do that. We see something there that points forward to Jesus. So when Adam and Eve um, eat the fruit, they become aware that they're naked and they're ashamed. God sends a man and woman from the garden, but not in the nakedness and shame that they feel there. He gives them garments of skin. So, up until this point, we've not seen any mention of death in creation at all. But God kills an animal to cover Adam and Eve's sin. We're made of the same stuff as them. And we feel that sense of shame and nakedness when we realise our own sin. But we know, in the same way that God made clothing for Adam and Eve to cover their shame, that Jesus was made an offering a death offering, to cover our shame. Right there, from the very beginning, we see whispers of the redemption of the hope that is to come. So whilst friendship can bring us frustration sometimes, what a relief it is to know that our sin and shame has been covered by Jesus. As Christians, we are forgiven people, living together in hope of eternity, that one day we'll be able to walk with God and each other without any of the tensions and pains that we feel on earth in our friendships. And we do hope for and look forward to that day. But 
while we're still on earth, while there's still that pain and hate, uh, hatred sometimes, um, there is a need for us to extend the friendship that we've experienced to the friends that we have, not to hold too tightly to those grudges that might easily come between us and our friends, to allow people a fresh start. After all, as Christians, we are brothers and sisters, and one day, the people that are alongside us are going to be with us in eternity forever. We're going to have a bit of time in our groups to chat that through, to look at the implications of that for you and for your friends. And um, then what I'd like you to do is pray together about some of the issues that might have come up today. So for you, it might be how we have real and authentic friendships with people. It might be how we show God to other people in the friendships we have. It might be how we consider other people who are Christians as our brothers and sisters and work to mend some tensions that might be uh, coming between us in the light of eternity. So spend a bit of time in your group maybe discussing that and then a little bit of time praying together. And then we're going to come together for the last song.